that word that Jesus spoke to his disciples, um, I go to prepare a place for you, was extremely personal. He knew what each one of them would be facing. And there's a separate room. There's a home for each one. And a couple months ago, I had an experience um, where I sensed the Lord speaking in a, in a very personal way. And it was um, actually through my mother. Um, my, my dad had MS um, for the last 25 years and just passed away uh, two months ago. And I had gone up. I caught them in time to have some really rich family time together with my mom and my dad. And uh, at the time, it was 17 below up in Bozeman, <laughs> Montana. And uh, um, not a creature was stirring. <laughs> yeah, nobody was moving. And uh, it was just dark and very cold, uh, yet very warm in the home as we were with my dad. And uh, I talked to my mom uh, the day after my dad had passed away. And uh, she shared this with me. And it, it just it speaks to me of, of the personal nature of God's word to each one of us. He doesn't speak just to large throngs. He speaks to each individual child, even as a father would do. And uh, my dad had been in a wheelchair for the last 23 years, um, unable to, to use his legs. And uh, the day after he passed, they had a heat wave in Bozeman that went up to 25. <laughs> and uh, that difference in temperature caused all kinds of things to, to come out. And my mom was in the kitchen uh, just by herself in that pretty quiet house all of a sudden, uh, looking out over a field that was behind her house. And a newborn uh, colt was running, leaping up and down in this spring warmth. And she said it was as if the Lord was telling her, okay. This is what your husband is doing now. Because he prepared a place for us. And we can run into his arms and face whatever comes our way. Good morning. He is risen. Let me, let me teach you. Um, this is Christosinesti. Can you say that? Christosinesti. Now, this is the response. That means Christ is risen. And here's the response. Alethosanesti. You're getting good. Alethosanesti. Okay, so I'm going to say Christosanesti. You say Alethosanesti with a little gusto this time, okay? Christosanesti. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Hey, isn't it wonderful? Lent is over. We celebrate life now, and, you know, weeks, ever since Ash Wednesday, weeks are given to identification with Jesus in his suffering and his death. And today, we celebrate, we rejoice in the resurrection. Now that is, that's wonderful. Lent is over. The joyous fullness of the resurrection Nike has begun. Nike, victory. No, it wasn't a brand name first. 
You know, it's way more than getting your old life back. It's new life. Life defined not by birthdays, but defined by the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Of course, Lent is not a a religious observance on our liturgical calendar. We can miss something, though. We can miss something that Lent provides, a precursor to appreciating the resurrection and new life that we have in Jesus Christ. I I, I kind of imagine it like this. I mean, if you were relaxing in an oasis with waterfalls and ponds and If you were to write poetry, it wouldn't be about a sip of water. But if you were crawling, if you were wasting, parched in a bone-strewn, arid desert and were rescued, the first thing you would cry out is, give me a sip of water, glorious, crisp, clean, fresh, death-defying, death-quenching water. Lent prepares the way for that. In another sense, uh, I could put it this way. It was two years ago, not far from an April birthday. Birthdays are when you celebrate life. You remember You go back, you value, you appreciate, at least ostensibly that's what we're supposed to be doing. I got a phone call from the oncologist. I had cancer. Elite tests confirmed it. Whatever the prognosis, when you utter the words, I have cancer, Death, you know, like that figurine that we dust yet otherwise ignore, that figurine lunges, launches, lurches off the mantle, and figurines don't lurch. We have a hard time thinking death will too. And it does. And it will. Cancer, like Lent, raises your mortality IQ. When death lurches, we see things. Things we didn't expect to see. When death lurches, you see not just its finality, You see the foolishness of death everywhere. You see regret and waste. And when death lurches, you thirst for words of life, for a life giver with life to give. I know I will die. I've always known it since a young lad. I knew it before that phone call. But a phone call like that 
when death lurches, it just, it kind of elevates your understanding of things. Years ago, I had this friend. He was quirky and so fun, even thoughtful. Roland, (laughs) he had this annoying habit of interrupting me. And he'd say, and you never knew when this was going to happen. That's why I called him quirky. He'd say, you know, someday you're going to die. (laughs) It rattles you. It rattles you like a clown that should not be in your bathroom. And in time, I learned to quit back. I mean, he would just, out of the, I never knew when it was coming. You know, someday you're going to die. I just want to slap him sometimes. But instead, I started quipping, someday, but not today. Whether it's lint, cancer, a quirky friend, or a funeral, death rattles you. But it shows you the glory of the resurrection. And you feel. You feel in ways you've never felt those words before. You feel the words of Jesus, the words of life. When Jesus told his dearest friends he was going to die, they were rattled. These disciples and their dreams, their hopes, their future included Jesus. Now they couldn't see any of that for the suffocating smoke and searing finality of that one word, death. So troubled were they that Jesus told them something they had never heard him say before. His words are powerful. Today we can hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us just as he spoke to them. And his words are powerful. They're the words of John 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. I will come again that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are Remarkable words, given the fact that in hours from the moment he uttered them, he would be 
hanging on a cross, having laid his life down to suffer, even as Passover lambs were offered. And yet, he brings to his troubled, rattled friends, his disciples, words of life. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus could see the trouble in their eyes. It was churning like a storm-tossed sea. Elsewhere, John says, sadness had consumed, overtaken their hearts. Jesus assures them. And his words assure us too. There's no trace of doubt. No reservation. Just as he assured his friend Martha, grieving her brother's death, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So he assures you and me. What's the remedy to death's sadness and grief? It's faith. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's the certainty of his word. It's the basis of his peace, the peace that he offers us. And that basis, the foundation, that rock foundation, the certainty is that his word is as God's word. You realize the raw elements of wind and sea submitted their fury to the words of Jesus. Peace be still. He commanded them. But we, we are not wind and sea. Jesus speaks to us differently. He speaks to us not as elements, but as beloved. He doesn't command us. He implores us to trust him, to believe him, to answer his appeal, even as the wind answered his command. That's the way Jesus speaks to you and me. He has the authority of command. But he speaks to us as beloved. He implores us to believe, to have faith, to trust. Jesus is the certainty. Only he says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor fearful. He says, where I am, you will be also. In my Father's house, in my Father's 
abode. In my father's home, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, what I've told you, I go to prepare a place for you. They hadn't heard that when he spoke of his death, but that's what he was saying. He knew that his death was not a death for himself. It was a death for you and me. It was a death for them. It was a death to be followed by the resurrection because in this he was preparing a place for you and for me. He was saying my death and my resurrection is making accommodation for you in the glorious abode of my Father. That gives you some sense of what he accomplished, his purpose, his mission, what he has achieved. He who created earth's grandeur and beauty opens the doors to his home, his presence through Jesus and the perfection of his preparations made in his death and resurrection. I'll share something with you. It's kind of... I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't repeat it. But the idea of heaven when I was growing up I I thought it was going to be boring. You know, I had this picture of celestial people floating on cotton candy clouds playing harps And I never liked the harp, really. But you know, you grow in your faith. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. You grow. It it grows. It gets larger. It, 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 It abounds. It isn't just something that happens and then that's it. It's living and deepening and enriching. And I've come to appreciate more and more what Jesus is describing. I mean, think about it. I I had this misconception, and so I clung to this, this familiar world with all of its glories. But who created this world with all of its glories? All of its richest, most beautiful things, even those things in the hands of humankind, at its greatest, was a gift of our Creator, our benevolent, generous, gracious Creator. And now He opens His abode, His dwelling place, because Jesus has made preparation, accommodation, given access to that which we didn't have, and it's ours because of the resurrection through faith, through Jesus. He implores, believe. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The movie Heaven is for Real is playing at the theater. It's the story of Colton Burpo, four-year-old son of a Nebraska pastor. Colton nearly dies of a ruptured appendix, and during surgery, 
He meets Jesus and a host of others that he couldn't have met or known. He flabbergasts his parents with vivid descriptions of what he saw and experienced. And I'm told that it begs the question. In other words, the viewer is constantly thinking, is it real? Is it for real? You see, I have to uh, refer to what I'm told because all I've read is the reviews. One reviewer said, this heavy-handed movie is simply a sermon it makes its makers think we all should hear. It's a sermon its makers think we all should hear. Well, here's a sermon John thought you all should hear. In fact, and you've probably already thought of this, but it's worth remembering that had Jesus not risen, we wouldn't be hearing this sermon that John wants us to hear. It wouldn't have been reported. It wouldn't have been remembered. It wouldn't have been echoed. It wouldn't have been published. It's a most important sermon. It's most important news, like none before and none since. Here's another sermon from the Apostle Paul, one of many. This is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, and it echoes the substance of Jesus' sermon here in John 14. Paul says, the Lord will descend from heaven. And we hear the words of Jesus, I will come again. Paul writes, we shall be caught up to meet him. And we hear the words of Jesus, I will take you to myself. Paul says, we shall always be with the Lord. And we hear the words of Jesus, where I am, you will be also. How important is this hope? Paul said, we grieve not as those who have no hope. When I got that news, I don't care who you are, you just feel all the wind rush out of your lungs. <laughs> it just, I, I can't describe it, but, but then those words, the words of Jesus come to you. You never hit bottom. You never see death the same, and you never see life the same again. The Apostle John assures us of this hope. He says, Beloved, we are God's children. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's the resurrection from the dead. You don't resurrect unless there's likeness unless there's similarity. We shall be like him. It's Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is an unparalleled claim in the annals of history. It sounds like something that should be chiseled in marble and that it should stand above the entrance to a great library or a great columned building perhaps in a great city 
a great sinner place of human civilization. But no one, no great philosopher, no great religious leader ever said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But Jesus, in him, the way is sure. That's why I'm sure he said, Philip, you know the way. Disciples, you know the way. You've been following the way all these months. You've been following the way. You turned to the way. You chose the way. You've been following the way. We don't know the way. Where are you going? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That tells you in itself how unparalleled is these words, these living words of Jesus. And they're unparalleled because he is unparalleled. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God who condescended, who became human, the incarnation, who suffered death to do that which no one else can do. Not then, not before, not after. And that is pay a debt to the holiness of God that each and every one of us owes. He was the righteous one. In him the way is sure. And because it's so sure, Paul taunted death. Death is swallowed up in victory. And he exclaimed, and I, I think of this as trash talk. He had the audacity to say to death, where's your victory? Where's your sting, death? That's trash talk. But he had the goods in Jesus Christ. No one has greater authority to say to you, let not your hearts be troubled than Jesus. Here's the beauty of what the resurrection of Jesus affirms for us. Paul wrote, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies through the death of Jesus Christ. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, maybe famine, nakedness, peril, sword, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christos Senesti, he is risen. That's why he is called Lord. And we reply, Alethos, which means truly. You could translate it, indeed. You could translate it, yes, he is risen. It's truth. But through Lent, or being told by your oncologist that you have cancer, Or maybe a quirky friend who interrupts you and says, you know, someday you're going to die. Or maybe the death of someone close to you. You see, it's not just my experience, it's your experience too. Some of you have lost mother and father, or grandmother, grandfather. Maybe you've lost spouse or child. I hope not. Maybe you've lost dear, dear friend or loved one. You see, you know about this as much as I. And it's out of that experience that the words of Jesus come. And we can repeat them, but when we know death in a more intimate way, It means everything to know the words of Jesus, he who is risen in a more intimate way, and that is faith. Christos Anesti, Alethos Anesti, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Will you stand with me? This morning, We're reminded there are more, no more beautiful words because his words swallow us all up in the joy of new life. This morning, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not know in a personal way, not just in your head but in your heart, the reality of Jesus Christ, that he's not far away, he's not locked in history, he's present this morning. And this day we celebrate, this is a a life that we celebrate each and every day, that we know each and every day through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our lives. But if you do not know that this morning, wouldn't it be marvelous to say, yes, on April 20th, Easter 2014, I knew those words in a real and new way like I've never known them before because I know the one who uttered them, the one who's risen, the one who conquered death, and I know that life in an intimate way, and I'll know it forevermore. If you do not know Jesus in that way this morning, I'm going to pray for us, but after I say amen, after we say amen,
I'm going to stand down here, and there'll be others with me, pastoral staff, elders, their wives. If you'd like to pray, if you'd like to say, Jesus, I want to know your life, your resurrection power in my life today. Come. Maybe you want to pray because God's just spoken to your heart, or you want to pray on behalf of someone else. Whatever it is, we invite you to come. What a great day to pray and to rejoice in the reality that he lives. And we pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the reality of new life outpoured in the most distinct way in the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, your residential commitment to us. Father, we praise and thank you for changed life, for the resurrection. And it's in Jesus' matchless and precious name we pray. Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Christos Anesti.